Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Brazil and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today's special guest, United States rower Peter Schmidt. Peter joins the show and gets to tell us all about his life. He has an amazing job that allows him to take a couple extra hours off a week so that he can go to his full-time, other full-time job, of training to be an Olympic rower. Peter gets really deep and honest with us about a lot of these things, how he was able to negotiate time off so that he can go to some of these events, what it's like having two full-time jobs, what his daily schedule's like, which is just absolutely insane to me, you know, more power to him. Love what he's doing. And that's why he's doing, he's doing and I'm doing what I'm doing. So very happy about that. But Peter was such a great guest, super happy that we had the opportunity to speak with him. And we really get to um, have a little extra insight on what it's like uh, for an uh, Olympic hopeful rower. So uh, first, have you ever wanted to start your own podcast by any chance? I did. Um, and then I started it. And this is what you're listening to right now. Um, we have partnered up with launchingpodcasts.com. It is a step-by-step -step video course on how to easily launch your very first podcast. It goes from, hey, I want to start a podcast all the way out to your fourth episode. It tells you everything that you need, soup to nuts, every single possible thing that could go right and every single possible thing that you might need to pay attention to along the way. Reasons why I started my podcast, I wanted to build brand awareness. I wanted to build relationships. I wanted to become a thought leader. I wanted people to pay attention to me when things were happening in the Olympic space. And I've been able to do that um, just by taking this video course. I learned every single thing I know. And clearly, again, you're listening to this. So I did something right. So if you could, please go to launchingpodcasts.com, enter promo code Mike, you get $50 off the course. It's incredible. Again, every single possible thing that you'd want to know. Again, launchingpodcasts.com, promo code Mike for $50 off. Without further ado, here's Peter. All right, today, special guest Peter Schmidt of USA Rowing Olympic. Hopeful Peter was born February 20th, 1989 in beautiful, sunny sometimes Providence, Rhode Island. Five-time Team USA member, started rowing in 2006. We got a cute story on the Seekonk River. Did I say that correctly? Yep. Look at me, I'm getting good. Uh, graduated from Drexel University in, or in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 2012. Has competed at five world championships with a bronze in 2015. Has completed in one World Cup regatta. Peter currently works as a mechanical engineer and lives in D.C., right outside D.C. with his wife. And is, as I said, a 2020 Olympic hopeful. Peter, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. The pleasure is all mine, I promise you that. So, Peter, if you don't mind, take us back. Take us back to the beginning, Providence, Rhode Island. It's absolutely beautiful. I know, obviously, you didn't start rowing for a long time, so what did you do growing up? How was, uh, how was that part of your life before you, before you figured out yourself on the boat? Uh, so, growing up, I did pretty much every sport that was offered to me. Mm -hmm. so one of the great things about um, growing up in Providence is you had Rhode Island College, Providence College, and all of these D1 programs and they had all the d1 coaches would have summer athletic camps so i tried basketball soccer um swimming diving uh did gymnastics for five years and then wow. um realized that i was getting too tall for that so. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know when to stop you got to know when to yeah. hold them. Got to know when to fold them. Everybody knows that song. So that's really cool. And yeah, Providence, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that about Providence, to be honest with you. Like when you said it, like I was like, of course, like Providence basketball, big, 
Big Ten or Big Big East, now Big East again in the second iteration. But yeah, I mean, there's so many D1 schools in that area um, that that is phenomenal. And during the summer, man, that place is beautiful. I wouldn't want to be there in the winter, but in the summer, it is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad in the winter either. <laughs> growing up, I mean, growing up in the Northeast, it's all it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a wimp when it comes to that stuff though. So that's that's more of a me thing than anyone else. But no, I loved it. I had a buddy who went to uh, Johnson and Wales. Uh, mm-hmm. great chef. So that was cool getting to go there and hang out and have all, all his chef friends make me food um, at 2.30 in the morning. So it's a, it a pretty fun thing to do in college. So that was a blast. But um, awesome. So yeah, I mean, you grew up doing a lot of that, got to hang out, playing a lot of sports. Sounds like you're a pretty athletic guy. I like to be outside, like to be doing things. Um, tell us about getting into rowing specifically and what really not only got you in, but I guess hooked you in and, uh, and, and kept you in the boat for a little bit longer. Um, so I had a family friend that, um, their entire family, they were all rowers. And so one day they said, Oh, we're, there's a learn to row program that's starting up at the boathouse. You should come down, you should try it out. And so at the time I was doing tennis and swimming and I don't think I was doing lacrosse anymore at that point, just because, uh, my hand-eye coordination was (laughs) not not good enough for that. Um, so I figured I might as well try it out. It's like, they seem to like it and it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the boathouse and tried it out. And they, I feel like they get a lot of people with rowing by having uh, practice in the afternoon, like in the late mm-hmm. afternoon. So you have like the sunset and it's mm. nice spring day. And you're just like, oh man, this is beautiful. The weather's perfect. The water's flat. And yeah, they hook you with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then they're just like, yeah, practice is usually like first thing in the morning, like yeah. sun's not even up yet. And it's like, it's usually a lot colder than this. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But so I, I think the one thing that really drew me to rowing and what keeps me coming back year after year is uh, unlike um, other sports that are, people have natural talent for it and just like, it just clicks for them. Uh, you have to put the work in with rowing. It's uh, a pretty linear relationship that just like as hard as you work, you're going to see some good results from it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the one thing that I really like about it. It's just like you really get out what you put into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, that's why I like sales. Um, I don't really believe anyone actually loves sales. That's just a personal thing. I think we all, you tolerate it to a point, but I, I like it only because it's something where the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. And it sounds like that's a, a pretty cool um, analogy to make there. So what, um, what exactly do you have to put in? Tell us about like the energy and the effort you have to put in and, and how, I mean, obviously I ran over some of your accolades earlier and we can get to those later, but what, what do you put in on, I guess, a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Um, so I guess we can look at my current, like right now I'm in the last week of my, of a heavy training cycle. So generally you do three hard three weeks and then you have rest week and the volume will increase every week. Um, and so right now it's about a two hour morning session of rowing and then a two hour afternoon session. Um, We'll do pieces two days a week, uh, lifting two days a week, and then uh, cross training uh, two days, two or three days a week. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's training six days a week, twice a day. Um, the volume, like 
ramps up and down depending on where you are in the season. Um, in the fall and winter, you're doing a lot more volume based. So we're getting into like the, this is the longest that we, that we're going to be training before we start mm-hmm. ramping back down to like lower, uh, overall duration, but higher intensity. Mm-hmm. So, um, generally on a given week, it's about, uh, 18 hours of like total training time. but uh, with warm up, cool down, and everything else, it's probably closer to 20, 22. Mm-hmm. So, and then. What are some of the like ancillary things that go into it? Like, what are some of the things that, like, when you go home, you, you almost like, let's just call it like homework? Like, mm-hmm. do you have anything like that? Because I feel like you're working on rowing more than just the actual time you're practicing, or as you said, warm up, cool down. I'm sure there's other things that go into it as well. Um, see i guess that a lot of it is uh making sure that you're taking care of your body just because Mm -hmm. rowing for two hours straight Mm -hmm. twice a day is uh pretty taxing Mm -hmm. uh so a lot of it is showing up to the boathouse i usually get there like 20 to 30 minutes before practice actually starts and i'm warming up uh rolling out stretching doing like uh pt exercises that i have um to prevent injuries that i've sustained in the past from mm-hmm. like coming back. So, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of like hip openers, uh, making sure that my shoulders and chest are the muscles there loosened up and warmed up so that I don't, uh, manage to pop a rib. Cause that mm-hmm. seems to be, uh, was a, was a theme for me the past couple of Ooh. years. <laughs> Yikes, Peter. I am so sorry to hear that. I don't do nearly enough work to ever pop a rib. So hopefully it's going to stay like that. But, um, no, man, that's terrible. And what is, I mean, working out that much, um, what sounds like all year round, essentially, like what is, what is recovery? Like, like, I mean, you work eight hours a day, right? Eight or nine hours a day and you train two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Like, yeah. What, what does recovery look like? Like, how do you, where, when do you have time to spend with your wife or to like read a book or go to sleep? Uh, so I actually was able to negotiate a 30 hour, uh, work week at mm-hmm. my, at my job and okay. my previous job as well, because, um, I have worked like a full 40 hour a week job before and there, there really isn't much time for recovery mm-hmm. or like downtime, any type of leisure. Um, it was wake up in the morning, go to practice, and then stretch as quickly as you can, run to work, get in all your work, and then probably work an extra couple hours because something inevitably comes up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get back to the boathouse, do your second workout, run home, eat dinner that you had like that you had prepped the week during the weekend, and then immediately just get into bed and go to sleep so you could do it all over again. Um, fortunately, with uh, a 30 hour a week job, I have a little bit more time to not feel like I'm rushing from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. And, um, I generally get home around, uh, between six and six thirty, And so that gives me enough time to mm-hmm. shower, make some dinner. Um, usually my wife gets home around like seven, seven thirty, and then we're able to spend uh, about an hour or so together. And then I'm in bed by, 845 and then she goes back to work so jeez <laughs> well, she's a lawyer so oh okay 
Yeah. All right. Well, she has a lot on her plate as well. So you guys yeah. are definitely a power couple on that front. That's incredible, man. Um, and, and I guess negotiating those 10 hours, I don't want to make any assumptions, but hopefully um, I know lawyers do pretty well for themselves. So I'm hoping that your, your wife um, does. And that those 10 hours don't really come into question ever too often. So we don't have to say much more than that, though. It's, it's just all right. No, I, um, yeah, she definitely, uh, she does really well for herself. Good, and, good. Uh, I'm glad. And I, I pick up those, I make up those 10 hours, but I, I usually do the cooking and cleaning. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. I do the cooking yeah. and cleaning as well. So I like yeah. that. It's not all the cleaning. Yeah. No, me neither. Like, but all the cooking. That's, that's yes. I do the cooking as well. Yeah. 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 I don't want to overstep my bounds too far, but that's awesome, Peter. That's good to hear. So, um, obviously you are a busy, busy man and you have been for quite some time. So what, um, when did you become, you're a five-time member of team USA. So this has happened in the last five years. I have to go with the assumption that you've been on the team. What has that been like? First, how did you get on the team? So you started rowing in 06, where did your let's follow your rowing career at this point so where did you go from there and when did you say hey i want to take this and and really do something with it um okay so i went to drexel and then i wasn't recruited to row but they were accepting walk-ons so i signed up and then rowed all four years at Mm -hmm. uh at drexel and then Drexel's a five-year program. So my fifth year, I started training at one of the boathouses on Boathouse Row. I was at Penn AC. And from there, I, one of the coaches just casually mentions, because I'm saying like, yeah, I want to, want to compete. And they're saying like, oh, well, there's a, uh, there's a selection camp going on up in Boston for the lightweight eight. And so you should apply to that. I'm just like, Okay, why not? Hmm. <laughs> um, I wasn't training. It's like I was still like finding uh, finding my footing, like training after college or like mm-hmm. the the post collegiate um, training scene. And so I was making my own training program and didn't have a whole lot of uh, mm-hmm. gu- guidance on that, and wasn't as disciplined as uh, as I am now. So I wasn't in, in great shape and went up there and kind of got my first taste of like what it actually took to, uh, to make the national team. So I ended up not making the team in 2012. Um, I got cut from the camp. I was the last guy cut before they announced the boat for the light eight. But, um, I think that strengthened my resolve to, uh, to kind of say to myself, like, you know what, I can actually do this. I think that I can, I've got more, more to give. So, after that, I got a job offer in D.C. and moved here um, for the first time. And I started, I reached out to Potomac Boat Club and they had a high performance team here. So I joined the high performance team at Potomac Boat Club and then started learning how to scull. And so I bought my first single and then at was still working a full 40 hour a week job at that time. And then I think I got through to like February or March. Um, and then talked to my boss at work and they was able to negotiate a reduced hour schedule there. Mm-hmm. And so I trained at uh, Potomac through 2014, um, the spring of 2014 where 
one of the coaches at Riverside Boat Club in Boston uh, reached out to me and said that she was putting together a selection camp for the lightweight men's quad for the 2014 World Championships and invited me to come up and train at Riverside to try to make that boat. So it was at that point that I was... I had to decide if I wanted to, I was going to have to leave my job mm-hmm. and move up to Boston and train there um, for the summer. So I talked to my, talked to my job, was able to take a leave of absence and went up there, tried out, made the, made the boat and then won trials. So we were able to go to the world championships. And then I decided to stay in Boston and keep training with that coach and with that program. So from there, that was when I started. Um, I found another job, and in Boston, tried working forty hours a week again, and that didn't happen. <laughs> I made it less than six months before I finally went to them and said, "I need to, I need to adjust my schedule." So, was able to negotiate a thirty-hour work week with them, and that worked out uh, really well. Um, and then kept. Uh, just kept going. Uh, there was another selection camp in 2015 for the lightweight eight. And so I tried out for that, um, made the boat there. And that's where at the world championships that year, we won the bronze medal, mm-hmm. which was a really great experience. I can only imagine. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And then kept training in Boston for 2016. Um, I made a bid with one of my teammates at Riverside for the Olympics. Then uh, we went, we're going for the lightweight uh, men's double. And we were training with the two guys that would end up going on to be in the, um, make the boat and go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were, they were training out of Boston as well. So it worked out well. Um, And so we went to Olympic trials. Um, We got fourth at that regatta. So, um, Hey man, fourth yeah. in the nation. That's really not that bad. So quick yeah. question about that. Why? So it sounds like, um, from what you've told us so far, you've, you've competed in the lightweight four and the lightweight eight. What made you want to try a two person boat? Like was like, what was the reasoning for that? And I mean, if you want a bronze medal with one team, it sounds like you guys are pretty darn good. So I'm mm-hmm. just kind of curious. Um, so the, uh, the reasoning for going for the lightweight men's double is that it's an Olympic class boat. So the lightweight eight and the lightweight uh, quad are not Olympic class boats. Okay. And the 2015 was actually the last year that uh, the lightweight eight was uh, offered as a race at the world championships. Okay. So that's Uh, pretty much doesn't even exist anymore. No, that's a drag. Yeah. Yeah, So they have uh, world rowing has a rule that if there's, if, if certain events are undersubscribed for a certain number of years, then they cut the event. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. Thank yeah. you for that. I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and you won the Browns on the lightweight four? Uh, no, in the lightweight no, eight. The lightweight eight. Ah, oh, that's oh. a drag. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my first, yeah, in 2014 in the lightweight quad, we, uh, we got, won the B final, so seventh place overall. So Still not that bad. Yeah. The entire world? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind being top 10 at anything. <laughs> in the entire world so okay cool sorry about that little diversion but i was just curious i wanted to understand a little bit more yeah no no problem it's kind of a muddled uh 
system to yeah eh, they all are i've at this point i found out there's they all change constantly and it's the systems and this is different and then next year it's going to be different than that so it's if I don't ask questions, I won't ever know. So awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so we're in 2016. You just placed fourth at the Olympic trials, correct? Mm-hmm. And you needed to place. Needed to place first. Oh, it was just one and one and done. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. okay, still yeah. a drag, but still not that bad. Yeah. So um, after that, went back and competed at the lightweight uh, in the lightweight men's quad at the 2016 uh, World Championships for like the non-Olympic boats. Mm-hmm. Um didn't do so so well there um and then was considering uh hanging it up after 2016 just because it was tough because i had wasn't getting any financial support from rowing and Mm -hmm. um my work was kind of asking it's like oh so are you going to come back to like working full time after Mm -hmm. after the olympic trials i'm just like uh maybe (laughs) yeah Uh. So, and again, it kind of came back to, um, my belief that, you know, I, I didn't think that I had reached my, my potential, mm-hmm. that I could, I could go faster. And so I decided to keep training and, you know, go for, try to go for 2020. Love it. Yeah. So 2017, um, I was training with one of my teammates at Riverside and we, teamed up for the double um which is the after the 2016 um olympics that's the lightweight double is the only um olympic event for lightweight rowing mm-hmm. so we won the trials um the national selection regatta for the lightweight double in 2017 and we were able to go and compete at the world cup in poland that year mm-hmm. And so the way that uh, rowing works is every year there are three World Cups. um, And then those are kind of, uh, you could think of them as the tune-up regattas for a lot of the, for all the countries. And then the World Championships um, every year, that's the the main event. Mm -hmm. So you've been to five World Championships and one World Cup? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So you only qualified for that one? Are, are World Cups only for Olympic qualifying boats? Um, so they offer uh, races. You can race any boat category at a uh, World Cup. Um, generally, it's us- usually the Olympic class boats that have the most like people racing or the most mm-hmm. uh, they're the most subscribed events. Um, events like the lightweight men's quad they might only get uh uh entries for that event at like the third and final world cup regatta when okay countries are trying to figure out like oh do we want to send this boat mm-hmm. to the world mm-hmm. championships that makes sense mm-hmm. okay cool and, and then i guess the other um thing is all the world cup regattas are over in europe and um you're paying for these trips yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and with the world championships being over in Europe as well, it's uh, it's an expensive uh, trip to, mm-hmm. to go over twice, go over and race twice. So uh, fortunately in 2017, um, the lightweight men's double was a funded event at uh, for us rowing. So they 
we didn't have to pay or fundraise for that event to go race over in uh in poland at world's cup Mm -hmm. so that was that's awesome yeah yeah, thank you team usa and everyone involved we appreciate um appreciate you helping out every once in a while it's better than never i guess so but that's a whole nother conversation um Mm -hmm. but we'll get to that in a minute so Mm -hmm. what um i mean what's it like competing going from competing in college i don't want to say small scale but on a a much lesser level and then making it to like international competitions and and competing against the best in the world and coming in top five four ten Twelve, like what? What is that like, and and how much does that drive you to continue to keep going? Because it sounds like 2016 would have been a very easy time to be like, you know what, this was fun, had a blast, but I need to work a full time job or whatever. Like, what 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 keeps you going, and what keeps driving you on that international scene? Um, I guess that the biggest thing for me uh, that keeps driving me is that racing it's like i enjoy racing and being able to like throw down with uh some mm-hmm. of the best best guys in the world and like win or lose being able to finish a race being completely have emptied the tank and being like all right you know maybe i got first probably not but it's like if i'm in the middle of the pack or even in the back of the pack i like to be able to think that i left it all out there and, mm-hmm. and it's like it's not something that I'm able to do very often or in any other and a lot of other endeavors. And so just being able to see like what my true speed is, uh, is the big thing that keeps coming, keeps me coming back. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. That's awesome. Congratulations on everything you've been able to accomplish this far. We're, we're rooting for you. So um, another question, are you focusing solely now on the two man lightweight boat or are you still competing and training and, and doing things in, in the four as well? Uh, so I'm still looking at right now, I'm probably looking at, uh, competing in the, the lightweight quad this summer. Um, the, I had a, didn't have a great performance in, uh, 2018 in the, in the lightweight men's double. And so I'm kind of taking a step back mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, there's a, several lightweights in Philadelphia that I'm training with. And it's, we're trying to put together a lightweight quad to, uh, to race at the world championships this summer and uh, hopefully have a good showing there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the uh, current or one of the members of the lightweight double from the 2016 uh, Olympic boat um came out of retirement and is uh Mm. and he's so he's training and uh going for the double so i don't think that i have the the speed to take him down just yet but Uh uh-huh we'll see (laughs) can you join him uh or does he have a partner he already has a partner and two of them are training so okay um i think that the guys that i'm training with in philadelphia we're gonna break into uh doubles and we'll race at uh the national selection regatta for the double see how we stack up against them Mm -hmm. so so you never know but you never know peter yeah (laughs) you just never know yeah 
man, that's half the fun of racing. Yeah, right. The actual competition of it and then yeah. seeing what happens. It's it's a mystery until it happens. So I love that, man. That's that's fantastic. So, I mean, it sounds like the 2020 games are an absolute possibility. Um, we now understand that at the National Cup, right, or the National or at Olympic Trials, we got to place first. Yeah. That's the only thing that counts. So we'll be rooting for you, man. I promise you that. I think that that's incredible. Um, and the last topic I want to talk about, we've obviously already spent a lot of time in the beginning kind of having two jobs um, and you've been able to kind of negotiate your way and use that smooth talking of yours to get that 40 hours or 50 hours, most of the time down to a, a manageable 30. Um, what is, what is it like having, you know, very little to no support um, from team USA? Maybe not the greatest way I can ask that question, but I mean, how, how frustrating does that get knowing that you're trying and you're competing at these national levels and you're doing pretty darn well. I mean, top seven, top, you know, you got a bronze back in 2015. It's not like we're messing around. So like, what, what is that like from your point, your standpoint and other athletes standpoints and just being like, how, what do we, what else do we need to do? I mean, not everybody can be the one team that goes to the Olympics, right? That's pretty difficult, but it's not like you guys aren't putting in your time and energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there definitely are athletes in the U.S. rowing system that uh, that are getting financial support. Um, I actually I was getting uh, support through U.S. rowing and the USOC um, in 2017 when the double was still a funded event, and those uh, they reevaluate your funding every year based on your performance at the uh, the World Championships. So there are athletes that are training at like in the, the training center in Princeton, the women's team, um, that they're getting, they're getting checks every month, um, to help pay the bills. And they also get bonuses based on medals that they've won at the world championships and the Olympics as well. So they, they're not, they're not rolling in it, but they're able to, they're mm. able to get, get by and train full time and, you know, kind of go all in with, uh, with trying to be the absolute best. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for me, um, I'd say it's definitely tough uh, having to support myself um, and not get any assistance from U.S. rowing. But at the same time, they, like, the my boathouse or my boat club, uh, Potomac Boat Club, um, they have uh, a charitable foundation um, that they use that every year for uh, the world championships, they fund, they help fundraise for us and um, help set up uh, whatever we need mm -hmm. or like make that easier. So this past summer um, we had to fundraise to go to the world championships and they covered my air, they sent me a check for my airfare and the fee that I had to pay for like race fees and whatnot to mm -hmm. US rowing. Um, I got that inside of a week of having paid it. So I didn't have to carry a balance on my credit card or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's frustrating, especially from my standpoint. I get to talk to athletes almost every day now and understanding that, yeah, naturally the top three, four, five might get more, but it's not like the 
some of the ones right below that. It's not like you're not putting in all the work or, and you'd be able to put in more work and heighten the competition if you were able to be funded from a, a um, you know, for, to a, a greater extent, because then 30 hours of your week wouldn't be spent at, be spent at work. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of it would be spent training more, training harder, and then being able to recover more and, and do your best on that front as well. So it's just very frustrating. So uh, a question that kind of came up that I thought of while you were speaking is, is doing kind of what you did back in, it sounds like 2016, 2015, 2016 area. Is that something that you're considering doing again, where, um, if an opportunity arises, potentially leave your job for, you know, however long necessary to really pursue this dream. Cause I'm sure it's a lot easier training for 40 hours a week and not having a job than it is training for 20 hours a week and then working 30 to however many hours a week. So is that a consideration that you're, I guess, mulling over? Um, yeah, definitely that if the opportunity would arise or if I really see that it's like, you know, I think that. I stand a significant, there's like a really good shot of me making this, Mm -hmm. um, making the Olympics in 2020 that I would definitely, um, take a leave of absence, uh, train full time, um, if I needed to go wherever I would need to go in order to make that happen. Um, beg and plead that to let my wife, uh, (laughs) with my wife to let me go, but (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure if the Olympics are a shot, she'd be pretty, pretty okay with letting you, uh, letting you go train for for a little while. If that's if that's a legitimate thing, I think that would be. I think she's all for it. I don't know her, but I feel confident. No, no, she she would definitely be all for it. She wouldn't be happy about it. But. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> if you make the games, it's a pretty darn good story. So um, we'll be rooting for you. I promise you. I promise about that. And so um, you brought it up also fundraising. What is what does that look like from the your boathouse specifically, your, their perspective, what do they do? Is that a bunch of galas, is it some nice dinner, invite some fancy people at corporate jobs to donate money? Like how, how does fundraising work um, on your end and how, how can people help um, like through a GoFundMe or a, a one of these crowdsourcings as well? Um, yeah. So they like my boathouse will host like uh, barbecues, dinners, um, cocktail hours, and they have uh and so people can donate that way. Um, they have a 401c set up, 501c? Yeah, 501c3. Yeah, 501c3 set up um, that people can donate to like throughout the year so that they have like a fund set up so that um, one of my teammates, Emily Schmieg, is uh, uh, training out in Chula Vista right now and she's getting support from the USOC and US rowing. Um, but last year, uh, she did a month long training trip in uh, Slovenia. And the 501c, um, 501c3 that uh, Potomac Boat Club had set up uh, funded her entire trip for that. So that was really amazing that she was able to go and race at several international regattas over there and just train full time. That's awesome. Good for her. That's incredible. And thanks to that, um, that foundation that was set up, they sound like a huge, huge opportunity. And how can people, you know, many of the people that listen to this are not located in Philadelphia. And I mean, honestly, they're located all over the world. So what are, what's some way that someone listening that loves your story and, and would love to donate to you specifically to help you with some of your payments? Uh, you know, what, what can they do on that end? I mean, for me, me personally, I guess, uh, 
if you wanted to donate to the Potomac River Sports Foundation, uh, the PRSF, that's the foundation through um, that's set up through Potomac, um, so that if I make the team again in 2019, and if I need to go on a training trip or do anything, that there's uh, money in the till to help make that happen. But awesome. in terms of in terms of day to day, you know, I've still got my 30 hour a week job that pays the bills, mm-hmm. keeps the I lights on. <laughs> yes, yes, that's half of the battle, honestly, keeping yeah. the lights on. I mean, we all know that that's necessary. Um, very cool, Peter. That's great to know. Um, I'll make sure that everything is in the show notes for that um, so that if uh, anyone is interested, they can hop right over there. I'm sure there's a donate button somewhere. That's fantastic. So we'll be able mm-hmm. to hopefully get a couple extra dollars. Maybe it's $1, maybe it's $100. Who knows? But that's still money and that's still a help um, for an opportunity. So um, another thing that I know we wanted to speak about a little bit was Coming here to beautiful New Jersey in the summertime, it's wonderful. Um, and you guys, I know the national team is located in Princeton, which is 25 minutes straight shot from where I am. Um, could be up to like an hour and a half with traffic because traffic in New Jersey is um, as stereotypical as they make it sound on the TV. So that's that's yeah. not a lie. So um, tell us about what it's like coming here and, and having people um, donate their houses essentially, or at least donate rooms in their houses for you and your teammates from all over the country to come and um, come and stay at. Yeah, so the National Selection Regattas are usually held in Princeton, or right on Mercer Lake, in, um, just outside of Princeton. And so the, um, the regattas are usually around a week long or three or four days. And instead of having to stay in a hotel and have that at that expense and having to eat out or go to the Hot Foods uh, bar at Whole Foods every night, um, there are families in the Princeton area that, um, agree to host rowers for these regattas. And there are even some rower or some host families that will host rowers that are training, um, full time with the national team and living in Princeton, in the Princeton area. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have, uh, one host family that, um, is in Hillsborough Township, so it's about a 30-minute drive um, to the to the course for me. But they are it's the sweetest uh, sweetest couple that I could ever hope for, <laughs> and they're the nicest people and some of my biggest cheerleaders, <laughs> biggest fans. So, I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah, Hillsborough is right down the road. I mean, depending on where in Hillsborough, it could be a little bit further, but Hillsborough is, is right next door to where I'm living. So I think that that's super cool. I always love hearing um, small stories like that, but it's not too small considering uh, Princeton, New Jersey is known. I'm pretty sure worldwide considering that university they have there is yeah, not, not too bad to go to if you're able to get in. So, um, yeah. Peter, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for being very open and honest with us and, and getting a good understanding of what you have to go through on a daily basis with your work and your training schedule, how frustrating it is, but also how fulfilling it is. I mean, bronze medal in a world competition, dude, that's insane. I love that. I love hearing stories like that. And, and just how you got into rowing. Like, yeah, you know, just thinking back like to how – is a family friend. They're like, Hey, you should try this out. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Sounds good. And now, you know, you're, you're traveling the world competing and, and, you know, coming in the top three, top five, top seven, um, in world events. I just think that that's incredible. So Peter Schmidt, USA rowing 2020 hopeful, sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today, Peter. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Peter Schmidt. As I said, incredible dude, really telling us everything that could that he does on a daily basis. And I think it's incredible that he has so many hours in a day 
Um, and when most people say that they don't have enough time, he just happens to find more. So Peter was such a great guest. Make sure to follow him on all his socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Make sure to follow us at, as well at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter, www.ourathletes.us on the interwebs. And shoot me some feedback, michael at ourathletes.us. Please rate, review, comment, share, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to get this in front of more people's eyeballs because I think these stories are incredible. And the more people that hear them, the happier we're all going to be. Thank you again to launchingpodcasts.com. Make sure you go there. Use promo code Mike for $50 off the incredible step-by-step video course they have. And other than that, guys and girls, sincerely appreciate your time as always, and I hope you have a wonderful day.